Welcome to Across the Line. It's Football Friday, and we've got a great show for you on this quarantine session. Uh, football is coming back to some areas of the world, and uh, um, a little bit about that. And we've got Patricia Tumanon on the show as well. She is a national team player for the women's team of the Philippines. She's also a Kaya player and a Kaya Academy coach alongside Chris Greatwich. You know a little bit about her. Chris, um, what do you think of the conversation today? Very interesting conversation with Coach Pat, um, someone who uh, has come to prominence recently with some of her exploits with the women's national team. Um, she's had a really, really good campaign with the Kaya women's team in the Sevens League. And she talks a lot about her involvement with coaching, some really interesting um, elements to her uh, backstory, which you won't spoil. You have to listen to it, but there's there's a few surprises in there that we didn't know about her. Um, but overall, she has a really interesting outlook on, on how the development of, of Philippine football, especially on the women's side, um, has taken shape in recent years and how she plans to, to, to cultivate it in the upcoming years. So no, a really, really insightful um, interview from, from Pat. And uh, it was great to hear her perspective on everything. Yeah, definitely. That, 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 uh, section about her, her upbringing um yeah that's gold uh, you know it's really something that was a bit of a surprise for me as well if you enjoy this episode and i i hope you do uh please do subscribe to the show over on youtube spotify and on apple Podcasts. rate and review the show to help us get the word out to more of the individuals who might enjoy this content all right and find us on social media on facebook instagram and on twitter just look for across the line without further ado we've got patricia tomana here on the show Welcome to Across the Line. It's another Football Friday. And as you can see, the quarantine sessions continue on the show. We've got a little bit of good news. We've got some bad news as well. All right. Uh, so I'm going to start off with the bad news just to get that out of the way. It is day 58 on quarantine, which means we are two months in. And the road ahead is looking a little uncertain. All right. We're not entirely sure how things are going to progress from here. Um, there are rumors that maybe there will be another month of this same scenario ongoing. Fingers crossed that is not the case and that there is some sort of plan that is going to be laid out in the near future and that we will be um, familiar with what to do in the days to come. The good news, there are countries that are starting to open themselves up back to the world of football. La Liga is opening up. The Bundesliga is opening up. The K-League has started already in Korea. So there is light at the end of the tunnel for the world of football. Added good news. Today on the show, we've got Patricia Tumanon on the show. She is national team player, KFC player, and academy coach. Um, Well-versed in the world of football um, abroad and here in the Philippines as well. So we're going to get a chance to speak with her. And of course, we've got Chris Greatwich on the show. How's it going, Chris? I'm very good, sir. How's how how's everyone else? How are you doing, Pat? You good? I'm great. How are you? How are both of you? Doing all right. Doing, doing, doing okay. We're doing okay, aren't we? I know. Um, yeah. Jing Jing's uh, using the time effectively to work on his yoga skills. That's what we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Apparently, he's uh, extra flexible these days. So, uh, yeah. What what have you been up to, Pat? Though, how how are you? How are you? Uh, how are you passing the time currently in lockdown? Uh, lots of home workouts, a bit of YouTube research, trying to learn more stuff about coaching, trying to hone in on that role at the moment, 
and uh, some stuff for the academy as well. Other than that, that's it. Pretty mundane, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, we've, we've had you very busy with the academy. You've been doing uh, uh, lots of stuff with our with our girls uh program of late um i i see you posting a lot of videos of you demonstrating your extra quick feet though uh, i think you've been uh very very busy demonstrating some of your skills so um how have they been received by the kids have they been wowed have they been amazed by how how, how good you are what's been the general response I wouldn't necessarily say amazed, but they're more uh, accepting of the challenge. I think they, okay. they want to try to attain these like small little skills. So they're really receptive to it and they get really excited when, I, um, when they send me their feedback or like I've tried this certain skill and they get really excited about it. So that's really nice to see. So that's actually been a few of the highlights throughout quarantine is seeing how excited the kids are with their new acquired um, ball mastery skills that I can help them with. Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. That's awesome. I don't, I don't do any of the ball mastery work, but I, I enjoy watching it. You know, the highlights of my feed <laughs> while I'm scrolling up and I'm like, all right, Pat's going to show us some skills today. So let's check it out. And there's always good music attached to it. So it's always a treat to watch, but where did you develop these ball skills, right? Uh, where, where did you hone your <laughs> skills growing up? Um, I grew up in South Florida. And at the time of that, like me beginning with football, it was very South American style. So it was a lot of like playing with the ball, getting your touches on the ball. So I spent a lot of time learning that I, um, I, I remember my parents buying a Corver DVD, which later on, like, I feel like I've come full circle. So I used to watch these DVDs and then I'd try to scale in my room or go downstairs and try to do it in a bigger space. And eventually that's just kind of how I've acquired it. But more over the past year, I've been able to really hone on it and play with patterns and things like that whereas before I would just try to mimic other people so it gives me a bit of creativity when it comes to the pattern making which is fun do you want to do you want to expand a little bit Pat on what curva coaching is because I'm sure some of the listeners will be familiar with it but many people will not be so do you want to just explain a little bit about the methodology behind curva and and how you've developed and adapted it um from being a player who's, ex who's experienced it to obviously implementing it now as, as a coach? Uh, yeah, so Corver is essentially trying to give players their confidence by having as many touches on the ball as possible. So just getting as much touch as possible, then eventually trying to add the speed element to it. So you do your skills with speed, then you add the um, opponent element to it. So now you're going into 1v1s, 2v2s, and things like that. So it's really just building individual players with skills. And it doesn't necessarily mean it's only attacking players. Uh, it really focuses on everyone from goalkeepers all the way up to your strikers. So being an individual, having 
confidence on the ball so that it gives you more options as you're playing. Now you have, you know, you have all the skills or the tools that you need in different scenarios. So just create and in training, right? Creating those scenarios in like the 1v1s, 2v2s, 3v3s and up to small sided games um, really helps them apply these skills that they acquire through the program. And how did you think it developed you as a player? How did how did it help you as a youngster develop your your technical game? Well, unfortunately for me, I only got maybe the first two um, portions of that. So I was only able to factory and maybe doing it with speed. But in terms of training, um, I wasn't in the Corver program. My club didn't apply that. So. I wasn't able to use that and I feel that it may have helped me even more so. I think I gained my individualism, like my confidence within the past, honestly, later in my career, just by saying, hey, I'm just going to try these um, skills out and see if it works out for me on 1v1 situations. And it was a lot of trial and error. But being able to see it with a younger group of kids trying these and um, seeing it over a course of a three or four month period and, and how much confidence they get on the ball is really amazing to me. So sometimes I, I wish I feel like I, I had that growing up, but it's great to be able to give that to kids as well. It's, it's quite funny you say that because um... – Obviously, you coach in our academy now, and we had Ina Palacios on the show um, a few weeks ago, and she was saying something about goalkeeping, wasn't she, Jing? She was saying how a lot of her sort of methodologies within goalkeeping now are based upon experiences that she didn't get when she was growing up through the system here in the Philippines. So it's quite interesting to see how you similarly have, have looked upon some of the deficiencies in the programs that you played in or areas of uh, coaching that you didn't get as a kid and are now adapting this in, in your own coaching um, co- your coaching career now. I think that's, that's quite an interesting um, comparison when you look at both, both you and, and Ina working in the, in the same space now. Yeah, we actually talk about that frequently and how going into, it's a different role, right? Being from a player, it's completely different going into coaching. So uh, you start seeing, wow, had I had this when I was younger, I probably would be a bit of a different player. So now trying to find a way to right, find those deficiencies in your previous, like in your youth career and being implemented to like a new generation, I think is really, really nice. Yeah. And I, I love talking to Ina about that actually. Yeah. How old are you now, Patricia, if you don't mind me asking? I am 26. 26. So you are in the national team right now, right? Um, there yeah. was an interesting little story that I actually wanted to get into with regards to the most recent SEA Games and uh, sort of the unfortunate events that, that led up to that for you and your playing career. But you're 26, which means you're sort of like in the prime of your, you know, uh, of your uh, physical capabilities as an athlete, right? You're still much pushing to become uh, a standout player, but you're also very busy with the coaching at this point in time. Do you think as if that, that, that sort of propels one and the other, you know, as a player, you're, you're, you're growing 
more quickly because you're also teaching the game? Does that, does that at all uh, translate? Yes, 1,000%. Because, um, well, I've been, so I've been watching YouTube, like, youth games and trying to learn, like, the uh, skill of, like, finding the mistakes and how to, what led to those mistakes so that, you know, eventually when we do get back on the field, I'm able to see that in matches. And I'm now watching games more critically. So watching back my old film, I are, I'm a bit more nitpicky and that's applied into playing before. So I was, I've been doing that for a few months and trying to apply what I see um, even from a youth level because you still see it at a professional level. And so, yeah, it's definitely um, made me more of a critical thinker as a player. It's kind of an interesting thing, Chris. Like, um, you went into your coaching also as well, sort of while you were playing. Well, what, what effect did that have on your, on your playing um, as you were uh, still in your playing career with Kaya? No, I think the same is really what Pat's saying. I think uh, I think a lot of players would benefit from doing some kind of coaching course or um, being involved in 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 working with with young players because I think it does give you a more of an analytical perspective on on the game and, and definitely you start to watch games not just as a as a fan or as a, as a spectator um, but you're looking for certain things um, certain aspects of the game that could potentially improve you. And, and with that, I think it definitely broadens your perspective on, on the game. Um, you know, I, I certainly found myself watching games with, with a completely different lens um, compared to how I did when I was in my you know, teens or early 20s. And I think it had a massive, uh, a massive effect on me. I think it also gives players the chance to be more respectful of their coaches because they know and appreciate the amount of time and effort it takes to 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 put on a session. And one of the things I think they appreciate more is the fact that, yeah, standing in front of a group and having to deliver a session in a very clear and concise manner is actually very difficult. And while you're playing as a, as a regular player, you don't understand the nuances and the intricacies of what that entails. Um, to, to put on a session that has a good flow, um, to make your points in a clear and concise way, I think is, is it's a skill and it's an art that needs to be honed and perfected. And I think if, if, if sometimes if players can get to see that side of the game, it will one, yeah, give you more of a, of an insight into what it takes to, to be a coach, but also, you know, have a more analytical look on the game, analytical perspective, which I think is something that as a player, sometimes I think if I'm being a bit critical, especially in the modern game, I want as to, to delve deeper into, into the game so much these days. Um, so I think having that perspective as a, as a as a coach player, you know, still doing both is um, it certainly benefited me, and it seems as though it, it benefited Pat as well. Um, what what I'd like to know with Pat is is how difficult has it been to to balance the two? Um, you know, do you find yourself in a situation where you're, you you feel like a frustrated player? Do you get frustrated with kids when they can't quite do the things that you could do? as a player like how have you found it trying to balance the um the two roles and have you found anything frustrating with in, in doing so funny enough uh before i even got into coaching i always was like i can't see myself coaching because really i'm quite an impatient person like 
Mm. Just, I get really impatient, but working with kids, I've just been so patient and um, it's just helped me more on my communication skills. So if it's something that they're not quite grasping, I am always trying to find ways like, okay, how is this player going to understand it? How, how can I convey it in a way that they're going to be able to receive the information and then get them to perform tasks that I'm trying to get them to do? So, uh, yeah, it's, I haven't gotten that frustrated yet, but that's also because I haven't had any lead games. So we'll yeah. see. But as of, for training-wise, um, I haven't had any frustrations thus far. So that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously you were looking forward to getting back on the pitch and you have been back on the pitch for a few matches for Kaya uh, it's been a long road back for you from injury and for those who are unfamiliar um, before you started getting into coaching with Kaya um, you were actually deep into preparation just these days which were uh, just recently passed here in the country unfortunately in the lead up to that uh, you suffered your first major injury in your career. And that took you out of the running for that. And then that's sort of what led you into the path of, of getting on in, into Kaya, getting into your recovery and getting back onto the pitch. Um, wh what was that experience like for you? Obviously, you're, you've moved to the Philippines from the United States and you were getting yourself pumped up for this big tournament. And then uh, obviously got derailed. And that must have been a, a, quite an experience for you. What was that like? Um, having to go through that entire thing. Yeah, um, quite frustrating, especially coming off of the Olympic qualifier that we had earlier last year. Um, I After that tournament, I'd gone home and really prepped myself, like probably the best preparation I'd ever done. And I was ready to go to come here for AFF. And yeah, so that's when the injury happened early into that training camp. And I, it was a lot, it was really like mental toughness. Like you really, I never experienced anything like that. The longest I'd ever been out was like three weeks for an ankle sprain, like never anything serious. So it was hard trying to stay positive. Um, definitely watching the girls play for AFF and at that point I was still had some positive outlook in terms of being able to get back on the field quick enough for SEA Games. There was hope at the end of my, you know, there was light at the end of the tunnel at that point and uh, my recovery was going fairly well and, but even so watching the girls play online was just like, man, uh, it was torture it was really torture i mean i was really happy for them they had a great outcome in that tournament and then when they came back i was able to start running and uh participating in training and i was a part of that closed camp as well but i wasn't in i wasn't in the right shape for sea games sea games is such a massive tournament and you really need to be 100 percent for that so my coaching staff didn't feel like i was ready for that and it in because at risk off just coming out of an injury yeah there's just a lot of mental toughness that I had to build over time and trying to stay positive and surrounding myself with really um, great people 
people that were even not being able to achieve my goal, which was to be ready for SEA Games. Uh, it was still a good experience in a sense that, yeah, I was, I found Kaya, the team as well as the academy, which I was gonna, I was gonna coach her academy even before I got injured. Um, Chris would know. Um, Eunice or PT actually mentioned me prior, but I didn't want to coach in a boot, so um, I didn't end up doing that and waited till I was fully recovered. But yeah, it was very frustrating. I went to one of their matches in Binyan, and man, right in the chest. Just a, but it was okay, and I'm really proud of my teammates, and they were really supportive. Right, got a phone call. Um, yeah, just very frustrating. How long were you out? I was out for two months or two and a half months, I believe. I was in a boot for over a month. And how did you sustain That's the longest. That? How did you sustain that injury? How did, how did, um, so we had a friendly match set up in our training camp and I was waiting to receive a ball. Um, the person came from behind and chopped my ankle and I fell forward and just ankle just snapped. <laughs> so it's quite crazy actually hearing hearing the bone crack. I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah. It was insane. Yeah. And, w- and this was what, a training game amongst amongst yourselves? Or was it in a, again, in a friendly game against this college team? Or who was, who was the opponent? It was a, it was a friendly, uh, it was a friendly against a club team against boys. They're U15, I believe. I think it was Malaya, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was great. I was playing a great first half, second half, boom, done. <laughs> but it was definitely a learning, learning lesson for me. Yeah, I think one of the things that people really don't don't highlight, I I feel as though it, it's mentally, it's very very demanding on players when they have 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 injuries. You know. Um, even yesterday, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about how they try to integrate injured players as much as possible. So even in the recovery, can, can you bring the, the um, exercise bike onto the training field so that they can at least, you know, feel part of the, of the squad some way, somehow, you know, because it's very, very difficult for that injured player to feel uh, a, a part of the, of the action when, when they're not able to, to compete on the field. And, and judging by you know, your reaction, I'm, I'm assuming that it must have been very difficult for you to feel part of the team when obviously, A, you weren't part of the squad for the SEA Games and then obviously going to watch and you want to support the group, but there's also, it's tinged with sadness because you invariably want to be involved with um, with, with that competition. Like, how did you cope with that? I mean, or, or did you cope with that? I mean, you said that you surrounded yourselves with people who were positive, but but was it... You know, I, I'd imagine it'd be very, very difficult for you to to um, 
to, to watch those games and, and it must have been very conflicting for you. Yeah, it, oh, mentally, yeah, very conflicting because it's like you don't want to have this negative feeling. But like you said, I mean, it did feel a bit like I was left out. And it wasn't, obviously, there were no intentions of making me feel that way, but it, it, it is what it is, right? You, you can't participate in, in some of the exercises. And as much as possible, they try to integrate me with more um, or try to get me to participate in certain exercises that I was capable of doing. But, you know, once it started to get beyond that, yeah. So sitting in training and doing your exercises to the side while everyone else is, you know, playing is, it was really quite frustrating, but it, it really, you have to put it in perspective. Like it's not, it's not about you at the moment. It's really about them. It's much bigger than yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a, how I tried to perceive it as much as I could. Cause it's so easy to be like, Oh, me, 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 me. I'm injured. I want to be a part of this, but they're preparing for something much bigger that means much more. So, right. Yeah. One second. I'm, oh, never mind. I thought I was getting a phone call, but. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's scheduled to be a big tournament this year, right? There's supposed to be a AFF championship that was supposed to be held in the Philippines. Now, obviously, we don't know what is the situation with that at the moment, but um, is that something that you're looking at? Is that something that's, that's driving you on to make sure that, hey, we might be on quarantine, but, you know, I got to keep myself in shape? 1,000%. Um, I'm trying to stay in shape for that, whenever that may be, and for a... for the seventh league whenever we do return back on the pitch but yeah just trying to stay in shape and um, eating healthy because it's so easy to fall into the snacking habits that you have during quarantine but yeah it's uh, a way for me to keep motivated sometimes I go too hard and I have to pace myself because you don't want to peak too early in your (laughs) training but like you get so used to having such a high intensity like regimen all the time that it gets quite boring when you do your normal moderate exercise. Yeah. <laughs> what's the what's the competition again? Sorry, Pat. What's the competition that's potentially going to be on here in the Philippines? Uh, we're hosting AFF supposed to be the AFF championships yeah yes the first round but i believe okay we have gone through the first round already based on previous tournament um performances and we would be going into the second round but yeah would have been a great game um tournament rather to to sort of showcase the women's game once again which has been growing quite a bit over the last couple years in particular, um, driven a lot by the performances of the team in um, the uh, Asian competition, uh, the Asian Cup, and obviously in the Olympic qualifiers. Um, a lot of excitement that's being placed upon the women's game. A lot of people um, uh, are thinking as well that if we are going to make it into a World Cup or to a major competition and really perform well, it's going to be the women that are going to do this. 
um, rather than uh, the men's team. What are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think that is the case? And how do you feel about the profile of the women's game here in the country at the moment? Backing off of SEA Games, I think it's, it's definitely growing and, and we're starting to get a much more attention than we've had in the past. And I think even just based off of last year's performance throughout the year, not just with SEA Games, like all three tournaments that uh, were played, I think it was slowly but continuously growing. The fan base is growing. And I think that's why we got such a great turnout for some of the matches that are played in Binyan because of that. So there's definitely an improvement with the team because of the consistency that they've had, like we had over the past year, which hopefully will continue in preparation for the following AFF that we should be hosting. I mean, there's obviously got to be a, a bit of um, excitement or positivity in the outlook of how the team will be. I mean, you've, you've, you've moved your entire life over here to the Philippines. Tell us about that decision. I mean, um, what, what were you doing in the, in, the, in the States prior to your decision to come over? Um, well, I was doing a lot of just training on my own or training with some boys teams as well as coaching. So I was doing a bit of coaching and private training and I was just gone back and forth so often that I figured you know what if I'm going to spend at the time it was going to be three tournaments in a row so I figured you know just go and and see where football takes you in the Philippines and that's really the reason why and I haven't really regretted it's such a growing experience and it's definitely different from the lifestyle that I was used to but in a good way I think it's always good to try different things it's so easy to stay in your little bubble and get used to your usual routine so that's been really nice and being able to play with my teammates more often outside of just a national team whether it's with sevens in the seventh league or like little pickup games and stuff like that so it's been nice that's a big decision you know chris do you what when you moved here it was in 2013 is that correct yeah but you had a you had an academy to look forward to as well right you you were going to take charge of the academy and play for kaya and be uh in and around the national team yeah so the timing of it for me was perfect i, I mean we um we had just probably had two or three years of the UFL, but it really started to to pick up. Um, I'd sort of been involved with the national team, but was a little bit in and out under Weiss at this point. Um, I was in the squad for Suzuki Cup 2012, but didn't play. Um, so I didn't even get onto the pitch. So, I, you know, I thought if I wanted to further that, I'd have to make the move. And then the opportunity came to, to come here. Um, and... You know, one of the reasons why I came in because I thought the opportunity was uh, was really good to start something afresh. I mean, the academy here was was relatively small. We we only had you know probably thirty forty kids at the time when I first came, and you know I thought it'd be nice to to do something that I could I could generally build and, and scale out. And I felt as though the opportunity was was too good to be 
uh, to be passed up on. So yeah, we, we made that, that decision. And one of the things I wanted to ask Pat was, you know, what, what, what was it about the opportunity that you, um, you saw, because obviously you'd been back and forth a little bit beforehand, but what, what, what was it about the opportunity that you saw about coming to the Philippines that really excited you? Was it the fact that you just wanted to get with the national team and, and, and see how, how that would transpire? Or did you think that there would be other avenues for you to develop other aspects of your of your footballing interest, obviously such as such as coaching, which you which you'd mentioned you'd been involved with before? Um, so initially, it was for the national team. So yeah, I, I figured you would have a few, um, quite a few competitions, so it'd be easier. And after that, uh, I kind of realized that it was more more than that I've always had to find I never understood how I could give back to the game until I got involved in coaching so coaching was definitely something that was a big factor into me moving as well because it's hard to it's easy in the states to you know they have so much access to football there and it's not the same and I wanted to be able to give back to the younger generation here somehow aside from just playing so that i found out would be coaching and um just wanting to be able to give back to the game here because growing up here when i was here until i was 10 i wasn't playing wasn't playing football until i moved to america so i want to be able to spread the game to as many kids as possible because it's a beautiful game that they should be involved in and that it doesn't have a high requirement or whatever the case may be with the popular sports here <laughs> that everyone should be able to play. So I think that was actually one of the bigger factors is being able to, I wanted to influence the game here. Wait a second, you were born here, Pat? In the Philippines? Yes, I was born. Yeah, I was born here. Born in Makati, raised here till I was 10, and then moved to um, the U.S. Until you were 10. All right. So you, you started playing yeah. football after. At like what age? So I, right after I moved there, I tried tennis first. It was not my sport. And then... That lasted for maybe a month, and then we saw a soccer field there, soccer, a football field there, and mm -hmm. they, there was a camp being held. Funny enough, it was called British Soccer Camp, so I was like, oh, let me let me try that out. And ever since then, I just couldn't stop playing. So that's why you speak Filipino. You speak Tagalog pretty decent. Yeah. Spent 10 years yeah. of your life here before, before moving <laughs> out. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. So when, so when you, when you, you come back here, when... so, sorry, Jing, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, where did you go to school? I went to a public school. So I went to Makati Elementary School, just in the Publishan area. Um, they didn't really have sports, so there were no extracurricular activities except for like clubs. And um, I think I played like ping pong after school with my friends. <laughs> so that was the most, most sport I played. 
What what do you remember wow, about those awesome. formative years? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What what do you remember of of those those sort of formative years? Do you do you remember much? Um, I remember only being able to speak English for the first three years, and um, I remember asking my mom. I came home one day from school. And I was like, "Mom, please, like, I need to learn how to speak Tagalog because, like." outside of the classroom, I don't have any friends. No one wants to talk to me because I only speak English. So what am I supposed to do uh, for that? And I spent a lot of time playing in the streets. So I played, um, I'd play like badminton and tag and ping pong, whatever you're really allowed to play outside in the streets here that's safe. But those are the things that I really remember most when I was living here. How long did it take for you to grasp the language? Um, I think fairly quickly because my, at the time it was my mom would speak to me in Tagalog at home. I would um, play with my friends outside who speak Tagalog. And my uncle was living with us at the time too. So I was getting a lot of the language from mm -hmm. other people. Wow. You lived in Makati also then, I'm presuming? Yes. In, in what area did you, did you grow up in? Um, Where in Makati? It was just near Makati Elementary School in Poblacion somewhere. It was, so interesting. It was a little That's townhouse in Poblacion, I remember. I, I can imagine exactly what it is, what it looks like, because that's that's sort of the setup that I used to go back to. I grew up in Indonesia, but whenever I go back to the Philippines, my my family lived in in that spot in Poblacion. So tight streets, uh, very urban area, uh, sari sari stores and stuff like this. Right, that's a very uh, mm -hmm. yeah city Manila city type uh, environment uh, to get familiar with. That's that's interesting. What did your What did your dad do here, or what was What was his work here in the Philippines? One second. So sorry, I just received the package. Um, so my dad works in. He was working in like the shoe industry, actually. So he worked with like companies like Nike and I believe what was another one, Aldo. So what he would do is he would go to manufacturing um, facilities that would have whatever prerequisite the company would um, ask for for the shoe design that they needed. So he was traveling quite often. So he oh. would be here or Cambodia, Indonesia, or wherever these main um, factories are in Asia. Did you ever revisit your roots? Where's your mom from? Romblon, is that correct? Yeah. My mom is from Romblon. Uh, I was recently there right before Christmas time. And oh, I love it there. It's so beautiful. Lots of beaches, lots of hiking, very um, countryside, relaxed vibes. I really enjoy being there. Chris, where are you from? Where, where's your mom from? Oh, don't ask this question. It, 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 yeah, it's so long-winded. I'll, I'll give you the, <laughs> yeah. So, mum's born in Davao, but she was raised here in Manila. 
but most wow. of the family lives in Bahal. So yeah, so basically, um, yeah, nomadic. I claim, everyone claims to be from everywhere <laughs> in the family. So you know, whenever I get that question, I can just claim anywhere pretty much. Um, but now it's interesting that you say that because you know, like both of you have alluded to, like I can I can picture that the moon the first time I came here with my mom I was a bit older and she would talk about you know where she used to live and then eventually she 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 took me down there and uh yeah I can I can sort of imagine that you said the, the, the picture of you as a as a young uh you know how would you describe it yeah it's a young girl I guess on the street playing rig you know funny street games this kind of thing like it's, it's, the, it's the image that I have in my mind like with how my mother grew up here in the Philippines so um, yeah I guess it sort of conjures up and evokes these these certain imagery that I think I have when I when I think about like my, my relatives and how they grew up um, here in Manila like what, what do you do you recall the transition when you went back to the US so if you were 10 or 11 years old when you went to the US did, did, do you recall that that transition and, and how difficult was it in terms of the integration from here to when you moved to, to the US? I surprisingly didn't have a difficult time. Um, definitely being able to speak English helped fluently. Um, and because the area that I live in, South Florida is so culturally diverse that I didn't look any different from People, although there weren't many Asians, but um, being like racially ambiguous wasn't anything new to them. <laughs> so I yeah, a strong I sort of Spanish of community there, right? Yeah, Spanish Caribbean. Um, yeah. It, so it was really it was nice. It was nice that I didn't have a problem being able to make friends. I think I made friends fairly quickly. Yeah. To be honest. Okay. Well, obviously, you then fell in love with the game of football. I'm quite intrigued how how you progressed through the system because I know you you went on to play at the Division One college soccer level, which is an, an absolutely incredible level of, of football to be to be playing at. And for those who don't realise, it's it's arguably you know one of although it's not a professional level, it's one of the top leagues. In, in the world when you actually you, you compare it apples to apples um, how did you go from being this 10 year old who'd never really played football before to managing to get a college scholarship eight years down the line like what did that development and what did that transition look like and how did you get from from that point to, to being able to play at, at the, the division one level um, so I moved fairly quickly so I started with recreational so that's yeah. like not competitive you know your Sunday games thing like that. Um, but it was with a boys team so okay. I was it was co-ed but I was the only girl and I was training quite a lot because I just wanted to get better I wanted to catch up with everyone mm -hmm. I'm a pretty competitive person so uh, that probably helped me a lot growing up and within six months of playing recreational league they I was approached I think or my parents were approached by a club coach so a travel travel club coach came up to them and said like if she'd like to train with the club team she can so I transferred 
it over with them. Um, they were training, I think, three to four times a week. But then in between those days, I would actually go to the field. And the boys coach for, I think, the U15 asked if I wanted to join their training, which I was not at any level close to being good enough to train <laughs> them. But I would appreciate the offer. And I didn't really want to do it. I would train with them. So training often helps me catch up a bit because I think, I mean, I started fairly late in comparison to most players. And, and yeah, playing lots of travel. Travel is travel soccer is the way that I got um, recruited for college. So going into uh, showcase tournaments and over the summer, I would go mm -hmm. to ID camps so ID camps were really big factor. That's actually the reasons why I got back. I was not even interested in the school that I ended up going to. I was interested somewhere else. And that's the reason why I went to the camp because their head coach is there. But um, the assistant coach for my school was really impressed by me and we continued contact and eventually I ended up being an FIU Panther. Yeah, so what, what options did you have on the table then or what, what schools were you considering to go to before you made your decision to go to FIU? Um, so I had a few D2 options, Nova University, which was right down the street from my house, which mm -hmm. is why it was such an option. Um, I believe I wanted to go to Rollins as well, which is a private Division II mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. um, I was in talks with USF for quite a long time and Florida Gulf Coast. I really wanted to stay in Florida because I liked being around my family. Yeah. So, and the level and of the play is very other... high still as well. The level of play is very oh, good yeah. in Florida for the girls, for sure. Really competitive. And... Um, I think Louisiana, some school in Louisiana, but I, I don't think I'd fit it in Louisiana very well. So I stayed in South Florida. And what was it, what was it that made you to choose to go to FIU? What was it about the school that, that attracted you? Because a lot of those schools are top schools, you know, and, and you know, if you're going to go to school in, in Florida, you know, you're going to get good weather. You know, the, the fields are going to be nice. You know, it's the facilities are going to be great. But all of those schools. So what, what was it about FIU that that said, no, this is the school that I want to go to? Um, well, for one, there were a lot of girls that I already knew. So there were three girls from my club that were a year older than me that went there. Okay. So I asked them what they think it's like. And they told me good things. In high school, went on a visit for a weekend and I stayed at the The athletic department had such a like family vibe to it, which I really like, so it wouldn't be hard for me to really adjust and get to know people. The location's amazing as well. So it was only 45 minutes from my house. 
and it's also only 45 minutes to the beach or 30 minutes to the beach. So not a bad deal. Where is it? Where is it? Is it Boca Raton? Where is, where is it for you? It's in uh, South Miami or not South Miami, but um, it's in, it's 45 minutes outside of downtown Miami. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's quite interesting. I mean, Jing, we, we've got a lot of uh, people who listen to the show who I think are sort of in the high school phase uh, are looking at, at what they're going to do for the next step. And they listen to a lot of these podcasts because they're, you know, trying to figure out how, how to navigate their, their own footballing pathway. And I think what's quite interesting is with some of the kids that are in, in my academy or some of the other kids that we've spoken to, people like William Valtos, for example, who went, to, who went to Wake Forest and we had on the show, you know, had a similar sort of path, albeit from, from, from the Philippines, because he did a lot of ID camps as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, he made that decision that if, if, I, if I'm here, no one's really going to be seeing me. I need to go and really force the issue. I need to go to these ID camps and showcase my ability in those types of settings. Because a lot of these coaches are getting, you know, tons of emails, tons of videos from kids all across the world. And I, I imagine the Florida schools are inundated with, with these types of emails. You know, some of the schools that you mentioned there, Pat, I spoke to some of those schools myself. And, and what was the criteria? for me wanting to go to those schools, well, I would love to live in Miami. You know, I'd love to live in LA. And mm-hmm. I, I, I messaged every single school in, in Florida and, and California solely for that reason, because I wanted to enjoy all the trappings that come with living in, in those types of areas. And, and I think what, one of the things that I think is interesting with your story and, and Williams as well, is the fact that you have to be diligent and, and very um, calculated with how you spend your time if you're going to these types of showcases so you know do your research be diligent take a look at which coaches you know are going to go there or i want to go to, to this school because i think this coach is going to be running sessions there or it's a school that that would do a major that i'm interested in pursuing etc cetera, etc cetera. i think that's really really important and you know so for anyone that's listening in those episodes I think it's important that if you do aspire to go, it might be a college in the US, it might be somewhere in the UK, it might even be a college here, but make sure you do your due diligence because if you don't want to waste your, the best years of your footballing career, um, you know, you need to make sure you do your research and, and, and play for a coach and play for a team that you're going to enjoy playing for, for those four years. Because if you don't do that and you go into that process blind, and make a bad decision, you're really going to pay the price for it. So, uh, yeah, it was quite interesting to see how you went about that recruitment process and, uh, yeah, how ultimately you went to, to a school, hopefully that you enjoyed. I mean, how, how was, how was your four year career at, at FIU? Did, uh, did you enjoy it? How, how did you find um, playing at that level? I enjoyed the school in itself, but, mm-hmm. I did not have the best time career playing wise. I didn't really um, didn't fit the style of play that my coach wanted, and um, I was too afraid to jump ship. I was always thinking like, oh, if they always say the grass isn't always greener on the other side, so why even bother try leaving? So I kind of just stuck it out. But um, it wasn't. It wasn't the ideal situation. So if there was something that I could advise um, current collegiate athletes or football players that are in college or look 
came to be in that. And if they find them sitting where they don't really feel like they fit the mold that your coach is or whatever his criteria of playing is, his or her criteria, um, have a serious discussion with your coach and see if you can look at your other options because, you know, there's plenty of options that you can go to and don't feel like you're stuck in one place. But, yeah, in terms of my career, was it, it wasn't great in in FIU, but I still don't regret it. I really love my school in it, and I love the girls that I played with as well. What was the style of play? What was it about uh, the coach's approach that didn't quite uh, fit in with your your style? Um, well, he was really quite, as much as he said he liked to play more of a possession game, it was a lot of direct play. And I played at a club which where we played played out of the back. And, it was, and I played as a uh, center back first when I was recruited and became a outside back at college. So I just didn't fit the style of play. And no matter how great my performance was in training, it, I never really made quite, I didn't make the cut to get on the starting 11. And I would come in and as a, a two. And so he took a knock with him as a player. So, and it was nothing against me there, obviously. It was just, I didn't, I just didn't fit the, what he wanted. And at what point did you get on the radar of, of the women's team of the Philippines? And how did that come about? Um, apparently... They reached out to my mother first, and this was, I was a freshman in college, but she, it was in her spam messages, didn't see it, and then they reached out to me <laughs> at the end of my, yeah, I was like, man, are you kidding me? So they reached out to me personally um, when I was a, at the end of my junior season of college, and I spoke to my parents about it. I was kind of iffy on the situation because, to be honest, it, they reached out to me on Twitter. Um, and I was like, <laughs> how, how reliable is this really? Like, are we really going to fall for this? Spoke to my parents about it. They're like, yeah, 1,000% go. Um, had my first tryout with the national team in California over Thanksgiving break. And a few months later, I was asked, to go to the Philippines for a second round of tryouts in Manila. And that's where it all began. What year was that? 2015. And what do you recall of your, of your, first, uh, your first experience here in the Philippines? <laughs> um, Play that that was very disorganized. I will say it was a very disorganized campaign. It was a lot of um, he said she said thing going on, and I just like all right. I guess this is how things work here. <laughs> but it was a struggle. Two months of that was quite difficult. Um, 
lot of my teammates and I that came from here were like, what is going on 90% of the time? Just happy that we would show up to the field, but anything outside of that, we were just overwhelmed. Things have gotten better since, but it's been a wild ride, to say the least. <laughs> 2015, so four years now with the team, and you're saying um, it's changed quite a bit. Um, how long has it been that... Um, the team has stuck together now. It's been like two years, year and a half, that this um, current batch and there's been a bit of continuity. Actually, since the first tournament I played, which was 2016, um, a good chunk of the uh, overseas mm. players from that time, not all of us stuck. So some of us from that batch stuck. And then here and there over the years, we would pick up um, a few more players that were you know, ride or die and they're willing to uh, take on the challenge and yeah so it's been continuously um, getting better since then it's quite interesting i mean you guys are f sort of this uh, first batch of individuals now I, I guess the the women's team is sort of undergoing uh, a similar phase that the men's team had uh, a few years back where a lot of the guys migrated over to the Philippines and are now trying to find ways to stick it out here close to the national team whilst also figuring out um, everything around it, you know, uh, finding out a career path and, and, and getting involved and staying involved in the game uh, while looking to um, accomplish the ambitions that they've set out for in the national team. Um, obviously, there's a, a few hurdles along the way for the women's game and that the, the league is not as established um, as, as the UFL once was. Um, I believe uh, the, the games are being played in, in, in Carmona early in the morning. and um, But there is some sort of structure that it's being set up now. Are you hopeful about what's to come? Or how do you envision things moving forward? Um, and do you envision more people like yourself, coming over to the Philippines and getting involved um, from a... I am hopeful, and I think people have... There's people in the backgrounds that really want to grow the game, and that's really nice to see. It's a sense in that sense that it's not just the players now the day for the game to be taken. Um, in terms of the league... Yeah, I think that might take a few more years. But, yeah, I think some of the people that are on the team now are more than willing to, to help grow the game and however they can, whether that be continuing and playing or joining the coaching side and see how we can develop it in that sense. When you were when you were starting out, Chris, when you guys moved over here, and then that initial batch of of, of uh, Filipino foreigners came by, I know you hate that, um, but um, a lot of the guys were starting to migrate over to the Philippines. Do you guys collectively speak with one another about how you guys wish things would transpire, or how you guys think about growing the profile of the game? Um, you know what, mate? It's it's really interesting. It's really interesting that you say that because I think in um, in Ina and 
and Pat in particular, who are obviously guys that are involved involved with the academy. I see a lot of uh, similar traits with that that wave of players that that we had that came over in and around the same sort of time. Um, you know, if you look at the likes of myself, uh, my brother Phil, James. I put Chiefy in that, although he, you know, he he didn't, he didn't leave, but he's in he's in our batch. You know, we all set up football schools. We all uh, we all worked in coaching, uh, and then we're the ones who, who have our own coaching schools. And then there's ones who carried on and worked. You know, people like Nate Burke, he came in and worked. Um, you know, so there was loads of these people that that had made the decision to come over here, and. Yeah, see, one, it facilitates the the need to to earn money. We we understand that that it it needs to be done so you can you can earn an income. But also, it's it's a developmental tool to exactly what um, Pat and exactly what Ina said earlier to an opportunity to give back and and to to develop the aspects that we perhaps didn't get when we were kids, and and use some of the knowledge that we've acquired to to put that back into the system here. And hopefully to to grow the game from the bottom up because we 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 know that there's very little going on from from other avenues. You know we need to take responsibility for ourselves um, to develop the young footballers of of today. Certainly in the metro area. So if that's the case, you know someone's going to do it, and 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 we can't sit back and go, oh yeah, you know, we complain about this and complain about that. Because ultimately, someone needs to stand up and say, "Well, I, I need to take responsibility here and 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 and, and push the level forward." And, and I think that's what a lot of us are doing now. Um, you know, and what's off the back of that, what's spawned off the back of that, is obviously people have taken notice and they've they've helped set up leagues and helped to facilitate that. So by no means is this just an, an effort just from people who've come over here and migrated here and then started to push the envelope a little bit we're doing it from the maybe the player development side where a lot of us have a lot of a lot of influence but off the back of that there's other people who've said no come on let's 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 really try to um be in their slipstream and try to help to produce more players that are homegrown and it's going to be a slow process and we obviously need the help of the federation moving forward and um but you can already see the seeds are being sowed and and certainly on the on the boys side, you're starting to see a lot of quality players that are coming through the system that are that are hopefully going to go on and play in the national team some stage down the road. I know Pat and Ina have, have got the same sort of vision for for the girls program as well. Um, but it's going to take time. It's going to take time, and it's going to take uh, a lot of work. And and what I like about what, certainly my batch is most of us have stayed. Most of us are still here. For me, this is the eighth eighth year that I've been here. So eight years on, I'm still here and still and still wanting to work and still wanting to develop at, at kids at the youth level. Pat, Pat's been here for a shorter period of time, but she seems very passionate about doing it also. So, yeah, I'd like to think that there is a wave of of uh, of, of players from the women's game who will get involved at some point. I know that some already are. And there are other members of, of the national team that are doing it in, in other ways also, um, whether it be through you know media work. Look at Natasha, for example, someone who does it through being very prominent in, in media work and commentary and things like that, because there are, there are so many really strong and positive female role models within the, the women's game here. And it's just about giving them a platform to try to um, inspire 
inspire the next generation of, of homegrown um, Filipino girls because if we can do that, and we talked about this so many times, haven't we, Jing? And I'd like to know your take on this, Pat, is, is we believe that the women's game, if we can harness it, they've got a real shot at making a major, major tournament. You know, and, and by major tournament, I mean a World Cup. With the men's side, it's more difficult. It's a bit more of a pipe dream. But, you know, when you look at, you saw Thailand at the World Cup, right? And, and that's, that, they're, they're a target that's not a million miles away from where we're at right now. So, yeah, I mean, what, what do you think with that, Pat? Do, do you see that there's a real influx of people with a similar sort of mindset to you who are really sort of laser focused into trying to develop homegrown talent with a view to hopefully propelling us to that? to that next level which which is obviously competing consistently on the asian cup level and then maybe even propelling us to to a world cup potentially in the near future perhaps she doesn't want to answer my question jing i don't think <laughs> it's not a good time to lose my <laughs> simple um have the same mindset oh, there she is all right oh um, sorry pat go again go ahead go ahead sorry um yeah i've definitely met some people that have a similar mindset and it's really it's been really nice and i'd like to meet more people and network more in the football community here and try to get to get together with these people and have a sense of community in terms of growing the game um so i'm fairly new in terms of coaching so I'd like to network as much as I can because I do think that the more sense of community you have within the coaching, you know, coaches across Manila and further is the best way that you can really develop your grassroots level and hopefully leading up to being able to compete more at a highest level because we're not far from it at all. We had a decent chance at it a few years ago. Mm-hmm. So you know, if we had the the type, um, we had the time invested in the women's program, or it's definitely a, an attainable goal. It's only been, what, a year and uh, change maybe that you've been um, migrated over here? Has it been already? I think it's been a year. Yeah, reaching a year now. And, and what's the outlook look like for you? I mean, is this something that you're gonna? Are we expecting you to be here on a more permanent basis, Pat? Yes, yes. Um, I was speaking to a colleague not too long ago, and um, they were talking about some endeavors back home, and I was like, you know what? Um, I really want to see things through here and see how I can help here. Because they have an abundance of, you know, uh, coaches and facilities and clubs. I mean, we don't have that. And it will help here. Also, it's my roots. I want to try to give back as much as I can. So it's definitely looking awesome. permanent. <laughs> well, that's good news. 
for the people who are developing here in the country and uh, for everybody at Kaya, that's for sure. Very good news. Um, Very good news, Jing. <laughs> um, you recently took over the Kaya account <laughs> on Instagram, and uh, you mentioned you, you mentioned something that, uh, that that got me a little excited. Um, you said that the the ambition in the near future is for Kaya to join the the women's league and to not just join but to dominate that league. Um, I personally think, um, in a selfish point of view, that that would be great for Kaya, but oh. not just in that way. I, I, I like to think that I think, you know, in a broader sense and think that if there was a team that could dominate and really showcase um, an entertaining style of football, that it could help propel that women's league uh, to the next level. As an added bonus, if you guys are all together, mostly of which are part of the national team, then you guys are playing together on a regular basis, which can only do good things for your chemistry and your capability to work together on the national stage or international stage. Um, yeah. Tell us about your, your, your thoughts on being a part of, of Kaya, being a part of, of that squad and, and getting an opportunity to, to play amongst um, your, your national team peers and some who are not part of the national team as well and um, sort of the goal um, of, of being a part of that next league. I think most of us have, um, especially the players from the national team as well, have spoken about how when we enter the women's league, we really um, want to be as competitive as possible. And, and yeah, like I said, I want to dominate the league because for me, I think that's the only way to kind of push the envelope and show other clubs like, yeah, this can be really interesting and this can be really competitive if you invest in your women's clubs teams and maybe this will then eventually lead to it being a professional league but yeah you have to start somewhere right so yeah I that's my aspiration to the to the team and I think all, all of us want that um, a lot of our ex-UAP players they're still quite fit and they want to show the young ones what they can still do and the experience that they have over them so I think it'll be an uh, interesting competition for us it's extremely rare for Filipinos to go out and say like, oh, I want to play, uh, not just play in that league, but I want to dominate that league, you know, to go out and say something like that. You don't see that too often. The only other people that I see are people like, you know, maybe Anton Del Rosario will go out and say something like that. Chris might not be a stranger to saying, you know, I'm going to go out there. But nah, I, I'm not even too familiar with you going out and, and, and speaking like that, Chris. So I was... Okay. I was um, Privately, maybe. <laughs> Privately, yeah. So to to be for it to be put out there like that, uh, I personally enjoy it. You know, I'm I'm more involved in like the marketing side of things, and I I like that. I like the stoking potential rivalries because that's what provides interest. <laughs> you know, people, people want to see whether you can prove it or if you're gonna fall flat on your face. Either way, they're gonna be watching. Right? Mm-hmm. Women's yep. rivalries. Agreed. It should be something but- that we look forward to. Not she's very provocative, isn't she, Pat? I think she's, uh, yeah, I think she's, she, yeah, I think she's just, she likes to cause a little bit of chaos. So, yeah, I think it'd be interesting to see how that, that women's league develops. And uh, I think Kyle would be a great addition to that league. And I'd look really interesting to see how, how that would pan out with, with them involved, because there are some really good teams in that league, some really good women's teams. So it'd be nice to get some really competitive women's games. And like, like Pat said, to, to bring it to the next level. 
Sorry, Pat, to interrupt you. No, no, I, I was just saying, I'm not, I mean, I'm not at all cocky or anything, but, you know, if I'm going to be a part of a competition, I, I want to put my best foot forward. So, and I have teammates that feel the same way. So I think it was a good statement to say, especially with the, the <laughs> Kaya that we do have like to be competitive, right? <laughs> Definitely. Um, it's awesome to be able to get to, to, to know you a little bit better. Um, uh, we've had a few meetings um, casually, but now I, I, you know, I get a chance to delve into your, your background and your aspirations here in the Philippines. Um, I recently um, ran into a picture that was posted by a National Geographic photographer from the Philippines. Her name is Hannah Reyes. Um, it was posted on like a Washington posting about life on quarantine. And I was shocked by the picture because it was like a, it was like an urban setting, super urban setting, but the kids were playing football. I'd never seen this before. Um, they were playing on the street, you know? And um, this is something that Paul, uh, Chris and I talk about that there, we don't really see street football here in the country, you know? And um, I was shocked that you were born in Makati and that you, you, you grew up on the on the streets of Poblacion, so to speak. And hopefully, you know, with your involvement in the game and, and, and um, <laughs> you know, growing the sport and interest of individuals, particularly girls, then maybe it'll be something that we see more often on our Instagram feeds, huh? like uh, young boys and girls playing football on the streets. That would be something that would uh, really showcase how much times have changed in terms of the sport and, and how uh, things are in the country because, man, when I was growing up, there was no chance. No, no chance you'd see anybody playing on the street here. In the <laughs> so hopefully you'll be a part of that change. Um, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Um, anything else you'd like to ask or um, a saint, Chris? No, I just want to say a huge thanks to Pat. She's, um, she's been a real breath of fresh air with, uh, with our academy. And I know that, you know, I said there are a lot of really good positive role models, female role models in the game. Um, but actually, there's only a handful probably in the coaching uh, spectrum. You know, I, I mentioned them before. Um, you know, Candice over at Football Fanatics, she does a great job. Um, you know, Bella has been involved in, with, with the YFL for, um, for, for a long time. You know, you've got Amanda with... Um, um, with the Sparta facility, so there's there's, there's pockets of these of these really influential um, females who are doing an incredible job, and I think Pat is definitely of the same ilk, of the same caliber. You know, she's she's a a really really innovative coach, and I know we sort of touched upon it at the beginning, but the stuff that she does with the Corva methodology is is absolutely incredible. And um, you know, I don't see many people running sessions of of that standard. Uh, with that level of enthusiasm and with that level of detail, so you know, if anyone looks that up and looks up that that methodology, she is a really, really excellent um, um, exponent of that particular uh, practice. So um, yeah, look it up because it's, it's a great methodology and it's a great way to develop your skills. And um, she's, she's one of the best I've seen at delivering it. So I know our Academy kids have really enjoyed working under her. She's been doing uh, different age groups, different age ranges, but in particular, the influence that she's had on the girls has been hugely, hugely impactful. Um, and so I, I hope that she can 
continue to do that with, with our girls. I hope that the other um, players who are involved with our academy and, and also in other academies and, and intend to come here um, to work with kids, I hope they continue to, to give back in the same way as the likes of um, Patricia and Nina, because we need those individuals. We need those, those, those people who can sprinkle their gold dust on these kids and, and really watch the next generation of kids blossom because that's what that's what it's all about we're all here to try to positively impact um you know the next up and coming uh coach pat and the next uh, uh coach ina so yeah i hope that she continues to do so because she's doing a wonderful job so yeah thanks for coming on the show thanks for all the great work that you've been doing and um hopefully that this team we can on the training field soon so yeah thank thank you so much Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. My first podcast. Um, and yeah, I'd love to continue making an impact however I can. Have you got any Thanks other messages? Yeah, have you got any other messages, Pat, for anyone who's listening? Any any advice or any little pearls of wisdom that you think you could, you'd, you'd like to share with, uh, with our guests or uh, with our listeners, sorry? I would just say... Um, Continue to, and I know it sounds so cheesy, but really just continue to follow your dreams. Um, there were so many times I was so close to quitting soccer or football because I was so, I just didn't feel like I was good enough or whatever the case may be, but I just kept on pushing through it and um, continue playing the beautiful game because it's called the beautiful game for a reason. So whether it, you make it to the highest level or you become a coach, um, being able to spread the love in that sense, I think, is um, really important and spreading the sport. It's really great. So, easy, but yeah, continue pursuing your, your aspirations. Beautiful. Thank you, Patricia Tomanon. Uh, you can find her on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, she's got some uh, motivational messages that she could provide you there <laughs> as well. Uh, Chris, I hope at some point in time, I'm going to be uh, the subject of such a glowing review from you as Probably well. Not. Uh, that was good stuff. <laughs> we appreciate everybody who's been tuned in to the show. It's another Football Friday, and you guys have come along for the ride once again. We appreciate that dearly on this program. Uh, we hope to provide you with more um, interesting shows while this quarantine period is ongoing, and hopefully we will see ourselves out of it in the near future as well. All right, all eyes will be on Bundesliga and La Liga and K-League and see how they're doing, and hopefully we'll be following along in their footsteps in the near future. If you like this show, if you like um, the content that we provide here on Across the Line, please do subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review the show and find us on social media as well as Patricia Tomano on social media. All right, that's it, folks. Thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time on the next Book of Friday.